Hi, I'm Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and welcome to my Daily Torah Thoughts. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Binyamin Abrams, who is a senior lecturer at Boston University in chemistry. And what's fascinating to me is you are a religious Jew, and you're also in academia, and you're also very much in science. And I'm just kind of trying to figure out, because a lot of people today talk about, you know, the new religion is science. Everyone is into science today, and you got to have proof, and you have to have a certain understanding of how the way the world works, and what about this dogmatic religion stuff? I mean, really, come on. Who has time for that? And we have progressed as a society. I hear that a lot from people. What, what do you say about that? It's interesting, because the only people that I hear talking that way are not scientists. Truly. If you go on the website for the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the AAAS, they talk about how science is one way of learning things about the world. Science is the act of asking a question to nature and recording nature's response to it. But then they also list that there are many other ways of interacting with the world and getting information about the world, like laws, religion, ethics, business. And these are also equally valid ways of interacting with the world, though they are not scientific ways. So it's interesting how the greatest scientific minds in America don't really subscribe to that idea that science is the only dogmatically true way of approaching the world. They recognize that there's other things. Okay. But what about the fact that it's very difficult to prove some of the religious dogma, whereas science has had a tremendous advantage over that, where it does have proof, there is cause and effect, and there's so many other ways of saying, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this, but I do hear it a lot, so I'm curious as to how do you reckon all of that? Oh, sure. Science speaks in a lot of black and whites. There's definitely a lot of uh, true and falses, yes and no's, you know, absolutely correct, absolutely incorrect. That, that's definitely one of the hallmarks of science. In fact, science is a very methodical way of, of studying the world, right? It's, it's, it's very attractive. And it's very good because it gives us a tool set that's a useful, but also very, very precise tool set for asking questions of the world. But this idea that the world answers with very, very cut and dry responses is really an outdated view of what science is, right? As, as, as early as the early 20th century, the idea of, of uncertainty and quantum mechanics, these things specifically really did leave a lot of room for, well, there, there's a lot of areas where we don't have certainty. And so it turns out science doesn't speak in, in absolutes. Conversely, there are other things like ethics, where I, I don't think anybody, you know, I, I think everyone will agree that there are ethically correct things and ethically incorrect things, but there's also gray areas. Does that mean ethics has no validity? Should we throw all of ethics out the window simply because there are some people that can't agree where the line between absolute good and absolute evil exists ethically. No, I think we, that we, we still work with ethics. We still have ethics. And so just because something isn't scientifically rigorous doesn't mean that we throw it out as, as invalid. I think science has, is question, Science is the doing of questions that are scientific, and they don't necessarily speak ethically. And so I know a lot of friends of mine who work in the biomedical and in biological sciences, neuroscientists especially, and, and also reproductive endocrinologists and, and things of that nature. 
they look at what the science says about their science, but as far as the ethical ramifications, this is not something that they're necessarily able to themselves delve into. And so science in a vacuum isn't really uh, enough. Uh, Planck, the father of quantum mechanics, was uh, once quoted as saying that uh, man needs both science and religion. Science is a tool of exploration and religion is a guide to action. And I think that's something that I subscribe to and I think a lot of my colleagues do as well. It's fascinating. I would think that there must be some kind of convergence between science and religion or because this is a Torah thought podcast, science and Torah. Now, as a scientist, and I know that you spend more of your day involved in science than you do involved in Torah, whether or not that's your uh, doing or not doing, but you have to be a person of the world. You have to pay the bills. Exactly. So how do you reconcile that? And, and, and how do you find kind of balancing both you know, being a scientist and also being a student of Torah and kind of living in both of those worlds? It's, it's funny because when I was growing up, I always heard that science, Torah, they, they don't mix. And it's, it's really been my experiences now that I've grown older and I've learned more about them, that that's really you know, far from the truth. It's a famous story of a, a man who wrote to a, a very, very holy rabbi in Brooklyn and asked him, um, should he keep his science textbooks and his Torah textbooks on, on different shelves? And the response was, well, they all come from the same place, so there's really no problem keeping them together. Meaning that science and Torah are just two different ways of looking at the same world. And they really give you a, a more rich color or more rich uh, beauty to the world that you're studying because you're seeing it in more than just one dimension. You're seeing it now in, in many dimensions with, with a lot of rich features and, and, and texture to it. I think it's about learning. It's about you know, learning more authentic science. And, and for, for non-experts, that can sometimes be a non-trivial thing to do, right? So finding a book that's not going to so-called dumb down the science, but rather explain it qualitatively in a very meaningful way. And then learning uh, authentic Torah, I think that one of the places where I struggled the most when, when I was growing up, I wasn't religious, as you know, when I was growing up, was that, you know, what I thought Torah was saying just wasn't what it was actually saying, right? Bad translations, bad classes, uh, you know, leads you to misconceptions. So the point is, find, find a, a, a good, authentic description of the Torah, a teacher that's going to teach you in a very uh, vivid and vibrant way, and I think that that's going to help a lot. So, what would you answer to the people who would call you a living oxymoron? So, first of all, you know, where I'm from, a long beard is not something that's uh, just religious people wear anymore, right? There's hipsters, there's a lot of people that, that look the way that I do. I always say it's not about the beard, it's about the products. It's about the products. But the truth of the matter is, what else am I supposed to do, right? You have somebody and they believe... In, in godliness and they believe in the idea that our role is to make the world better, right? That we should find a, a person, a people, a group, a niche, and do whatever we can to leave it just a little bit better than we found it. And if you've done that, you've done every single thing that could ever have been asked of you, right? That's, that's fundamentally what the Torah asks us for, right? To make the world just a little bit better, as much as we can. And so... What else would I do with my life? Of course I'm going to be a scientist. I'm going to try to find a way through the natural world to make the world just a little bit better. And so whether it's in teaching chemistry or doing chemistry, 
I try to make sure that I leave the world just a little bit, fraction of a bit better than I found it. And so people ask me, how can I be religious and be a scientist? What else would I be? Of course I would be both. But you don't just need to look at me to find scientists who believed in God. Some of the biggest scientists in history, Isidore Isaac Rabi, Francis Collins, and many more of today and in years past, have had a fundamental change on the scientific world, have made advancements that we can only dream of, and have had a deeply devout belief in a transcendent God. So I'm not anything big, but some big guys, smarter guys than me, have definitely seen no problem with believing in God and being scientists. Thank you, Dr. Abrams, for joining us. My pleasure. Anytime. Pleasure having you. Dr. Abrams is the senior lecturer at Boston University in chemistry. I'm Rabbi Yisrael Bernath. Have a fantastic day. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.